Welcome to Two Bald Pastors, a podcast about real faith and real life. I'm Jeff Sinabaldo. And I'm Joe McGarry. We serve as pastors and congregations in the New England Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, which we often refer to as the ELCA. Today we are joined by Pastor Keith Anderson, who serves as one of the pastors at Upper Dublin Lutheran Church in Ambler, Pennsylvania. Keith is the author of Click to Save, a book he co-wrote with Elizabeth Drescher, and more recently he authored Another book called The Digital Cathedral, which came out this year in 2015. We also have the distinct privilege of having known Keith for some time when he served as a pastor in the New England Synod, and Keith shares our love for a very special place and community called Camp Calumet in Freedom, New Hampshire. Welcome, Keith. So glad to have you here on the podcast. Thank you, guys. It's great to be here. I'm really excited about this new project you're doing, so I'm glad to be a part of it. We are so glad to have you on, and... uh, you know, just to get started, one of the things that we all have in common is is the connection with Camp Calumet, and and one of our mutual friends, Sarah Dizel, uh, died earlier this year. Uh, but Seekers for Sarah was and continues to be a very powerful witness, not just support of faith, but really a new way of staying connected um, with with our group of friends and and even beyond our group of friends. Can you? Share a little bit about what Sneakers for Sarah was all about and your involvement in that movement. Uh, yeah, well, we had known the Dalzells for some time. Dave and I actually had our very first um, entrance decision for our ordination process together on the same day, along with oh, John nice. Hopkins. Yeah. So we go nice. kind of way back that way and then spend a lot of time with Dave and Sarah when we were back at seminary together. So it was... Uh, um, so when Sarah was diagnosed, it was a heartbreak and her passing this year has just been, um, terribly sad. Um, but one of the ways that our community was able to give her and Dave support was this idea to do sneakers for Sarah so that on Fridays and then later on Tuesdays, when Sarah and Dave would make the trip down to Boston for her cancer treatment, people would post these pictures of themselves or other pictures with Chuck Taylors, you know, all the yeah. Chuck, Chuck all-stars. Uh, because uh, from an earlier childhood experience, um, Sarah had this association with Chuck's with good and kind medical care. So it just kind of happened organically. I'm not sure exactly the genesis of it, but uh, it became very clear early on that our group of friends was going to rally together to do this for them. And so, yeah, we'd post pictures of our, our twins wearing Chuck Taylors and send love and prayers their way um, on those Fridays and then later on those Tuesdays. Um, and I gave a sermon about it and which I had planned to preach quite some time, you know, kind of in advance, uh, though, uh, Sarah was in hospice by that time. Uh, and I was, I was preparing the sermon. She, she passed on a Saturday and I was preaching that sermon the next day. Wow. Um, so it was kind of a moment to reflect on the whole journey, um, and to, you know, kind of hold them in prayer and to share their story then with with my congregation. So the sneakers for Sarah story was really kind of birthed within this tight community of Camp Calumet and New England Synod folks. But the story kind of expanded through social media um, and the stories we told in our churches. Um, And I tell that story in our book too, is this beautiful image of, you know, expressing care and concern, even when like we are now no longer in New England, miles and miles apart. 
Yeah, that was a powerful sermon. I remember uh, listening to it, and uh, it was really uh, quite wonderful. Is that still available for people to uh, listen to if they'd like? Yeah, it's posted on our church website, but I can send you the link if you want to post it along with the interview. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely do that. Okay. Yep, I cried my whole way through it all three times I preached it. That's one Sunday morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tammy and I were pretty impressed um, that you held it together as well as you did. So, <laughs> yeah. Good, good Thanks. Those were hard days. Yeah. Well, thinking back on some of our time together over the years, uh, when you first started doing social media workshops here uh, in the New England Synod, I went to one of those, and what uh, struck me was the difference that you carved out between, say, broadcast media and social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe and I both publish our sermons. We we blog occasionally. We are regulars on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and things like that. But could you just articulate the difference between what's a broadcast and what's social? Yeah, and, um, and you know, I've, I've really benefited from Elizabeth Drescher's work on this in her book, uh, Tweet If You Heart Jesus, where she really lays this out um, in a really helpful way. And basically, um, broadcast media is the kind of social, the media world we've been living in for the last 500 years. It started with the printing press, kind of an era of mass media, um, which then includes television, radio, and newspaper, which is kind of a one-to-many communication model. So there's uh, one show, one message, um, one idea, and that gets broadcast out from a single person or a single entity, um, like a news station or a newspaper out to many, many mm-hmm. people. And it's, it's kind of one-way communication. You know, you could call into a radio show, you could send a letter to the editor, but by and large, you're responding um, in a kind of very much smaller way um, to these larger broadcast media outlets. Right? And there are a lot, in, and there are limited broadcast media outlets because broadcast media is expensive to create, produce, and, and sustain. Um, and the shift that we've been seeing with the internet over the last 25 years and social media especially is that we're moving from this broadcast one-to-many model of communicating to a social, to a many-to-many uh, model of communication. So through Twitter or blogs or Facebook, um, Instagram, everybody now is a publisher. Everybody has a platform. Um, and so we can all share um you know, our ideas, our messages, our experiences and stories uh, on these platforms. And so now we have this kind of very, very integrated, very sometimes chaotic, busy, noisy space where people are sharing all these, these different ideas on not just a small number of platforms, but a countless number of platforms with blogs and websites and podcasts like you're doing here. There's a lot of channels out there for sure. And, and, uh, one of the interesting things that I think I've experienced is when we are engaged in social media, um, how social are we? You know, when a church has a Facebook page, you know, what are some of the ways that we can really engage in conversation to, to help promote that conversation so it can really be a social experience for people? Yeah, that's one of the biggest mistakes that congregations make in social media is treating it like a broadcast media um, so, oh, now we have all these different platforms to, you know, kind of blast out our message um, or to share nicely our message. But the <laughs> sense that, you know, these are all the ways we're going to promote ourselves and we're going to you know, talk about what we do and what we believe. Um, and the invitation in social media really is to listen. We're connected to so many more people um, and we can actually to listen you know, to what 
they're talking about and what they're sharing and how their faith um, shapes their lives, the ways that they make meaning. Um, so instead of just you know broadcasting out our message, uh, we need to to take the time to listen to hear what other people are saying and to invite those conversations, as you say, whether it's you know posting a question um, on Facebook as opposed to just you know these this is what's going on at our church, kind of a bulletin board. Right. Um, you know, what do you, what do you think about this? How do you respond to this? Um, sometimes that's easier on our personal profiles than it is on our church pages. Um, yeah. uh, I often find that people that could post the same question in both places and people will usually engage more on my personal profile. And I also tend to get a wider range of people, not just people right. who like the church page, but um, kind of a whole range of people, practices, and beliefs that are represented there. What you talk about a lot is this idea of connecting or um, relating to those who identify as none, uh, mm-hmm. the nuns. What are what are the nuns, and why is that? Why is it significant that we as a church understand who they are, and how does it relate to our ministries? Yeah, the nuns is a a term that's been coined to describe people who are religiously unaffiliated. So on a, you know, on a form, if you ask them their religious identity or preference, and you had a kind of a whole list of different religions or different denominations, and then you had the none box, like none of the above, um, these are people yeah. that would, would check that box. So they're the, the nuns. And what we've been seeing is that the number of nuns, or the percentage of nuns in the United States is growing and growing rapidly um, and has been since the mid-90s. So Pew Research primarily is the, is the um, organization that, that tracks this. And I think we're at now, it used to be that it was 20% of Americans and 30% of people under 30 were nuns, religiously unaffiliated. But I think that that number has come up over the last year so that it's more like uh, 22%. So it's an ever-growing group of people. Um, And so, you know, I mean, just as churches, if you have fewer people who are affiliating with a denomination or a religion, that means fewer people who are attending, fewer people that we're connected with. Uh, And so for churches, we need to um, understand, you know, that this is a huge demographic shift that's happening. Um, and so maybe our anecdotal experiences in our parishes of, gosh, it seems like fewer people are coming or younger people aren't coming as much. Well, that's part of a much larger trend that we're seeing across the board. And as you know, in New England, New England is one of the places that trend is, uh, has, is most accelerated. So you guys yeah. are, you in the Pacific Northwest tend to be at the forefront of that trend. And kind of going back to that question about broadcast versus social media, you know, often whereas we get into social media spaces and we just want to tell people about our church instead of listen, we do that with nuns sometimes too. The idea of nuns kind of freaks us out because we're not sure what to do about it. So sometimes we become paralyzed, but um, sometimes we think we just need to do better and work harder at the same old things that we've done, you know, for years and years and decades and decades. Because if we just mm-hmm. do it better or we just do more, people will come. And I think um, the invitation for us is to, again, to listen and to recognize the ways in which nuns. Um, make meaning themselves and to engage with the ways that they make meaning. Elizabeth Drescher has a new book coming out on this called um, Choosing Our Religion, the, Rel- the Spiritual Lives of America's Nuns. It's Oxford University Press and it's coming out next year. And I've read the drafts of it and it's going to be amazing. Every pastor should read it because it really does give you a insight into how are people you know, putting these things together. So 
none doesn't mean nothing that there's no religious belief there's not or or no right. connection to um, organized religion but uh, we have to do a much better job of listening and finding places of connection yeah and with that um, go some of our assumptions for things I, you know if you're somebody who uses the revised common lectionary this Sunday there's the story of Jesus talking about the temple being torn down which people would have said what are you talking about it's eternal uh-huh. um, and we're experiencing so many structures in our time and lives where people thought, well, that's unchanging. That's just will always be the way it is. Right. You've come up with this whole concept of the digital cathedral uh, as kind of a, a new way, maybe a rediscovery of old ways, I, I think is probably a little bit more accurate, but a way of thinking about being together in cathedral. Could you share a little bit about what that means and uh, ways we can move forward? Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny, isn't it, that, um, you know, the temple, there was a time when the temple didn't exist. <laughs> but right. For, yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But, I mean, but, but people had forgotten that, in a sense. Like, this is always, this is eternal. It always has been and it always will be. And we forget about the times when it wasn't so. And um, I think we're kind of in a similar time now in the church, that we've been in this kind of post-World War II kind of really boom period for the church, which right. is really an anomaly in the history of uh, the church in America. And we think it's always been that way. <laughs> well, it hasn't always been that way. Yeah, you know, People right. have practiced differently and belong differently and gathered differently, you know, over the history of the, the Christian church in lots of different ways. Um, and so it just hasn't always been. And so when I talk about the cathedral, it's sort of hearkening back to a time, um, you know, kind of the origins uh, in the Middle Ages, of a, of a time, you know, before broadcast media. Um, and, you know, when we talk about cathedral, uh, you know, often we just think about the, the ginormous buildings, you know, um, yeah. whether it's uh, St. Peter's Basilica or St. John the Divine in New York or Canterbury Cathedral. We think cathedral and we think building. But mm-hmm. cathedrals were much uh, more expansive in their understanding of themselves and who was kind of included in their community. And even in the, the cathedral precincts, I, I write about in the book about Canterbury Cathedral. And there was a bakery, there was a brewery, there was an infirmary. Mm-hmm. There were all these things that were in the cathedral grounds. And then the cathedral had all these connections to the entire you know, village uh, of Canterbury as well. Um, so cathedrals are really networked and relational uh, organizations or communities, and uh, and in cathedral, that specific term Elizabeth Drescher had coined as a way of talking about the kind of everyday lived experience of the people who kind of lived, you know, sort of in the shadow of the cathedral, not just the monks, not just the priests, but the everyday people who helped build the cathedrals or service the cathedrals, or who had you know brothers or sons who were monks that you know helped to maintain the cathedral, um, and. You know, uh, on a on a trip I had made to St. John the Divine in New York and Manhattan, you know, I really saw that how um, it was connected to the life at Columbia University and the the hospital right across the street and Morningside Park and um, community fairs and the pastry shop across the street. But these were all really much um, connected. Um, but in our churches, so that's a way of saying in our churches, we've come to think about church in a very narrow way about our buildings or in a specific location, as opposed to a way of being church, which is much more broad and includes a whole range of digital and local gathering spaces. Early in in your book, you mentioned Humble Walk in St. Paul, Minnesota, Mm -hmm. essentially a church without a building. Yes. 
uh, yeah, and that's that's really where the idea of the the digital cathedral came from because I had remember I'd written a blog post that reflecting on that that visit because I had been a fan of uh, Jody Haugen Humble Walk for forever, <laughs> and um, and I wrote a blog post and talked about how they were making their neighborhood their cathedral, and that's really where the kind of genesis of the book project came from, and uh, yeah, Humble Walk. Uh, is intentionally doesn't have a building, doesn't aspire to ha- to to have one. Um, they do Bible studies in coffee shops. They do beer and hymns nights and theology pubs at at the Shamrock and their local community. And so they're really all about being embedded in their specific neighborhood in St. Paul on the west West End. And and that you know kind of model that commitment to the neighborhood uh, has really influenced both my writing and my practice of ministry in my own parish. I was in Charlotte a week ago, and I was at a place called the King's Kitchen, hmm. and it was disguised basically as an ordinary coffee shop—not a Starbucks or a chain, but just you know looked like a local coffee shop. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went in there and started talking to the people, and we started noticing little clues here and there, including these hmm. postcards that they had around uh, that we highlighted a person in particular and they, they would tell their story. They'd say, uh, you know, I'm so-and-so and I was homeless and I had a drug addiction and da 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 And this community uh, helped turn my life around. Mm. And we came to realize that through conversations with the people that work there uh, and were giving us the coffee, that uh, they do a coffee shop during the day. They also serve lunch. And then every night they are uh, basically a soup kitchen. So they oh, have wow. 50 to 80 people come in every night. Wow. Uh, and they serve them a meal, and then some of those people they, they will end up working there. So it's kind of a, a track oh. to uh, uh, improving the community overall. Wow! And I think I think their their mission is something like one plate at a time or something like that. I just oh. I thought was really cool. Um, yeah, that's trying right. to actually be a third place. I mean, you've talked a lot about um, finding third places, so we're not just locked in our buildings all the time, but uh, some intentionality about trying to be that spot right uh, was was really kind of cool i i loved it it was a neat uh, neat ministry yeah very very cool that reminds me of uh, a group like that i i wrote about that's based in omaha and they have coffee shop and a bookstore and uh, they also do worship and theology pub and they give a percentage of their profits to ministry partners or to social service partners in the community so it's a really wonderful model uh, of being, you know, very present in the o- Omaha Old Market area. So it's a lot, lot of community, a lot of businesses there, and they've built these partnerships with social service agencies through supporting them, even though they're really just a fledgling ministry themselves. Yeah, it was kind of cool. They had this uh, chalkboard kind of behind the counter, and they, mm-hmm. they just it was a list of names, and those were all the people that really made it happen. So you had local businesses, you had the Chamber of Commerce, you had corporations, and you had huh. individual names. And yeah. it was all just up there, and it was it was cool. And and basically, they said, you know, we we're not doing everything, but we can do this. Yeah, and um, try to improve our neighborhood in this particular spot, which was really, I was moved by it. I thought it was great. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's uh, we need to think about ways like that that we're able to partner with different organizations, you know, and find common commitments together, so that you know, often we're just really focused on. You know, supporting our church budgets, which are important, but yeah, right. but but sometimes you know when we're we're connecting with people who are nuns or just not, you know, kind of in that that church circle, we can kind of discover what are 
the things that we all care about together and what are the resources that each of us have and what can we do? And that's a really important way of, of thinking about being in this kind of networked collaborative space with people. We, with our, um, we do a theology pub every month at our local brewery and we got the idea that you know maybe we could do like a beer tasting for charity because we support the local food pantry they support the local food pantry it's something mm-hmm. that's pretty much wired in both of our dnas so can we share what we have kind of on the organizational side of putting it together and kind of the beer and brewing side and can we make this happen and and we did and we raised a few thousand dollars that's awesome and, um and so i think you know when we're in relationship long enough, you know, whether it's your local brew pub or uh, other organizations <laughs> in your community, and you listen, you, you find those places of connection. You say, well, you know, they may not come to church. They may not give to the church to support our bottom line, but this is something that we can do together and make, make a difference. And I think those, those opportunities are going to become more and more important. Yeah, those, those opportunities are, I think, essential to, to be able to connect with other organizations in each of our communities. But, but I guess my question is, how, how can we start those conversations within our churches who worry so much about the bottom line and how are we going to pay for that and how are we going to do that and, and have, have that scarcity mindset rather than that uh, abundant mindset? How, how do we start those conversations to, to move from inside our walls to out in the community? Well, I mean... And I've kind of lived this through this in my parish experiences. You know, often we can get so focused on what we don't have and the challenges we face with kind of shifting demographics that we just kind of want to hunker down and we become kind of paralyzed. You know, like right. uh, we start to look in. That's the, I mean, we turn in on ourselves. That's the old Lutheran, you know, terminology for yeah. sin. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. We start to really turn in and protect and, um, uh, what we do have and what the studies and demographics show us is that that that's just not a way to that's not any way to grow spiritually or you know congregationally or in our faith um, that we really need to continually look out but fear is a really powerful thing and often will turn cause us to kind of turn in we know that in our personal lives we see that in our congregational lives and I think this is a real moment of where following Jesus really pushes us a little bit to the test to say, we're going to continue to remain open. We're going to continue to find points of connection and be in relationship with people and try new things. Even if it doesn't, even if right away, we, it doesn't seem to like cushion our bottom line or, you know, maybe those relationships have value beyond the mon- you know, the monetary um, we, we talk about that kind of stuff all the time in, in church, but sometimes when it comes to our budgets, we, we forget that. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And a lot of the experiences, at least that I've had, you know, it, it, they're anecdotal in the sense that um, they're hard to quantify. I mean, I, I recognize that. But um, you have to be able to, when you're kind of in those spaces, to tell the story and retell those stories about, you know, what that connection led to this connection and that connection. And then, you know, this happened and that was amazing. (laughs) Or, um, or you wouldn't even believe the difference that, you know, this particular got on tap night or whatever it was made in the life of this person. And we just, when you're kind of pushing the, on the edges of what it means to be church church and what church looks like, you have to be a good storyteller right? uh, right. because sometimes it's, 
it's hard for people to see when we're in a particular kind of frame or we gauge success just by numbers alone. And we just have to be completely out of that business because that is a depressing business to be in. If you're the church now, it can't, <laughs> it can't be about the number. It can't be about the numbers. No, no, no. It, it has yeah. to be about the stories. It has yeah. to be about the gospel. The difference that, that the church is making in the lives of the people. Definitely. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and maybe, you know, as David Lowe suggests, we need to be better about telling those stories to ourselves as well. Then just not take it for granted that, uh, that it's happening or that we know exactly what's happening, you know, just because people are inside our doors. I mean, the thing is, nuns aren't just outside our congregations. There are a lot of people in our congregations who are kind of like nuns, you know, that they have a lot of doubts. They, they aren't sure they buy in all the way. And, you know, we need to be kind of much more, uh, aware and, and open and telling stories amongst ourselves about the way that God is at work in our lives. And one of the things I noticed you, you posted recently was this uh, concept of my upper Dublin and, and inviting mm-hmm. people to tell those stories. You want to share a little bit about what that is? Yeah, this was just kind of a little brainstorm I had about trying to encourage people to share uh, about their church experience or their, their upper Dublin Lutheran church experience um, with people on their social network. So we, for some time, have, you know, kind of encouraged people, you know, before service, you know, please check in at church. Um, we've used the hashtag kind of informally, hashtag UDLC, which is sometimes used for other things by other people. And we thought, well, if we made it my UDLC, it really is mm-hmm. about, you know, what is your experience and why is this place special for you? And, you know, tell us in a a video, tell us in a picture, whether it's on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, you know, wherever you want to do that to, you know, to whatever kind of network you want to share that with, um, you know, what is your upper Dublin story? You know, what does it mean to you? And so we kind of soft launched it this past Sunday. Um, we announced it, put something up on the slide up up in worship and we just posted around the building about the different ways that people could do that. I mean, we, we created an email address just for that. Uh, so people could just email if email is more comfortable for them than social um, media, uh, or they could even bring in a, a picture and you know put it on a bulletin board. So we tried to kind of hit you know different levels of technological ability and and comfort. And so I'm hoping people will you know share share their stories. We even the pastors only see a portion of what goes on in the life of our church community. So it'd be great to lift up the kind of whole range and variety. Of, uh, of ways that we are church together. And it really lifts up the many-to-many idea versus why don't you come and I'll, I'll tell you what Upper Dublin is about. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's right. right? That's yeah. right. So yeah. it's, it's a really cool opportunity. I, I might mimic it. I like it. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I was inspired by um, Holy Spirit Lutheran Church I write about in the book. In, I think in Kirkland, Washington, they, they had this campaign where they called it uh, Holy Spirit in the world or Holy Spirit Lutheran Church in the world. And it just kind of, they did it as started off as a stewardship campaign. They, they email or they mailed out with the stewardship material, um, these orange flags with the church logo on it. And they asked people to take pictures of themselves in different places where they saw the Holy Spirit active in the world. And it meant both the church and the Holy Spirit, um, and they said, and that was kind of part, that was a big part of their stewardship campaign, you know, like here's the life of our church, you know, inside and beyond our building. And, uh, that kind of went viral for them and they've continued to be doing that. People were posting on their 
summer vacation pictures <laughs> they taken the taking the flag to Europe and wow wow <laughs> so it's really one of the best one of the best um, ideas that I think is in the book about um, engaging people in that way so so you write about these 15 rules for the digital cathedral um, mm-hmm. can you briefly go over some of those rules so we can really get a, a taste of what you're talking about when you mention the digital cathedral yeah. Um, yeah, I wanted to do this chapter, we call it the digital rule of life. In a way, uh, I mean, there's tons of advice about how to go about living in a digital social media world. But uh, what I wanted to do, because it's really a big, such a big part of the book, is really connecting historic, traditional, time-tested ways of being people of faith in the world, no matter you know, our technologies or times, and you know, how are we faithful today? So I went back and I looked at the rule of St. Benedict, other monastic rules, the rule of Taizé more, more recently, and you know, kind of thought, you know, what, what would be the, the kind of rules of the road for being faithful, living faithfully in a digital age? So you know, like the first one or the second one, like right at the top of the list was listen. Mm-hmm. And you know, listen to what people are sharing and saying in social media before you jump in and tell them, everything you want them to know. <laughs> and, and that's a, that's a spiritual practice too. And mm-hmm. listening is a deep spiritual practice. Um, Joan Chittister wrote a book, uh, wisdom distilled from the daily on the rule of St. Benedict. There's a whole chapter just on listening. Um, that's really good. So listening is like the number one rule of social media. And it's a really important rule of living a life of faith. Humility is something that is really stressed in, in the rules and the rule of St. Benedict humility, um, has like, multiple rules, you know, numbered rules, and many, many pages. It's one of the biggest themes in the rule of St. Benedict. And humility is super important in social media circles. You know, people can really get full of themselves really quickly because, oh, look, I, you know, shared something, I put something online and people liked it and shared it and like, um, and, uh, and all that. And people can really get carried away with it. And, you know, the thing is, we're just really all figuring it out as we go. So it requires a huge dose of humility and not to get caught up in up in that you know to disagree amicably is one of the rules that you know in social media there's no like last word <laughs> it just goes on right. and on and on you know there's no ever yeah yeah there's no last word there's just the next word um and so and at some point you just have to say okay if we don't see eye to eye but that's okay you know we don't have to yeah. i don't have to i don't have to win this argument on facebook we can still be in relationship so i think that's that's a discipline that we all probably need to learn and i talked about digital sabbath which we also talked about in click to save but you know times uh, intentional times of stepping away from the conversation you know you i know i even i get you know kind of reach a saturation point with digital technology and social media and have learned to recognize that and to step away when I, when I have, when I am, but, uh, you know, to take some time away from all those many, many, many conversations that are worthwhile, but, you know, will also be there when you get back. So taking some Sabbath. So, you know, those are some of the ways that, you know, are historic ways of living faithfully that I think apply to, you know, our current time as well. What are some of your favorite ways to take a Sabbath? Oh, well, I'd like to get out in nature. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. I mean, I like to walk, I like to hike, I like to get out into the woods. And, you know, when I'm in those spaces, I really, you know, I probably, I will post like an Instagram picture. <laughs> <laughs> of course you, had, yeah, you need to course. do that. <laughs> but uh, you know, once I get the obligatory Instagram picture, then I tend to put it away and just kind of be in that, in that space. So that's, that's really my, tends to be my Sabbath space is, uh, 
uh, being out in nature. You know what's also really good for Digital Sabbath is swimming because you can't take your iPhone into the pool with you. <laughs> so I've really I've realized like if I go and swim a bunch of laps, like it really is a huge way to unplug because you just physically can't have it with you. So do something around water. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeff's Jeff's son learned the hard way when they went canoeing this summer. Kayaking, yeah, yeah, yeah kayaking, kayaking. Oh no. Joe and I decided, my son Joe, not Joe McGarry, uh, we were um, playing kayak tag in uh, Lake Ossipee. Uh-huh. And we uh, he missed and he flipped. <laughs> but thankfully, he, he had his iPhone in, a, he's got a very protective case and it w- was in his pocket. It wasn't sitting in his lap. So he quick got it to me and I was drying it off while he was uh, swimming his kayak back to shore. It was kind of fun. <laughs> Save the phone. Don't fine. worry about me, Dad. Don't worry about me. <laughs> so, Keith, you got any uh, other new projects you're working on? I'm just starting to get my mojo back uh, creatively after writing Digital Cathedral. So, um, so just in the last couple months, I'm really feeling it again. So, I've just been trying to write and you know write some blog posts, do some writing just for myself. And I've done some 30 seconds or less recordings and. Uh, so I'm just trying to just do some different things because I find that when I'm speaking and when I'm writing, basically that leads me into whatever's next. I mean, I kind of blog and I kind of and I write, and then like I look back and I see, you know, oh, where are my thoughts taking me? I mean, so many of the things that are in Digital Cathedral were things that I had blogged about or written about or spoken about, um, and then it's kind of a matter of looking at it and kind of connecting the dots and see where it's going. Uh, so right now I'm feeling. Uh, more creative than I have in a while and kind of reveling in it and just going to see what, see what emerges. That's great. I, I really awesome. enjoyed one of your last blog posts about the emoji theology with that you were doing with confirmation kids. You seem yeah. to be really creative in, in connecting uh, technology and young people and their faith. Uh, and I really learned from that and, and really enjoy reading that kind of stuff. Oh, thanks. Um, that was super fun to do the emoji theology. Um, and yeah, there is a way in which, you know, I've tried some different things and some things have worked and some things haven't worked as well as I thought they were going to work. But when you're really trying to connect and trying to speak that language, I mean, it just, the intention about of doing it goes such a, a long way. And what I'm discovering is like this little sweet spot where, you know, you're using the technology, but you're not requiring every anybody everybody to have a smartphone or use a smartphone or you know go home and do something. So like we did the emojis, but I was they weren't doing it on their phone. We had them all printed out so that they yeah, yeah. do it that yeah. way. And so there's a way, uh, like I'm discovering, a way of engaging that technology with it all having to be highly technological. Yeah, that it really. Um, that was a that was a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, I thought that was that was a really neat thing. So so if people really want to uh, connect with you and hear about you know the next projects you're going to be working on or, or just ask questions or whatever, what are some of the best ways that they can do that? Um, best ways are uh, I have a website pastorkeithanderson.net and uh, a lot of my old blog posts are on there. Links to the stuff um, that I'm writing on other websites now. Information about the books. So there's a bunch of stuff on my website, including the Emoji Theology post. Facebook, again, at facebook.com, Pastor Keith Anderson, on Twitter at PRK Anderson. Uh, anything with a Pastor Keith Anderson or some kind of version of that, I'm usually you'll usually find me on some social media platform. Nice. Um, so, yeah, so I look forward, look forward to connecting with people. And um, 
you know, if people have questions or follow up, I'm happy to connect with them about that too. Well, thanks Keith for taking time with us today. We really appreciate it. And it's, uh, it's good to hear your voice again. Yeah. Same here. Same here. Uh, it is nice to be connected on Facebook across the miles, but it is nice to, to hear somebody's voice and, uh, uh, hope to connect in person sometime in the not too distant future. Sounds great, Keith. Well, thanks again. And uh, you can get Keith's book. It's the Digital Cathedral Networked Ministry in a Wireless World. Thanks again, Keith, for being thanks, with Keith. us. Thanks, Keith. All right. Thank you, guys. Good luck with the podcast. Thanks. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Two Bald Pastors. This is Joe McGarry. Wanted to let you know about some changes that we are uh, experiencing here at The Two Bald Pastors. We are at episode number seven. Now, in the podcasting world, if you still have the passion and the drive and the energy to continue with your podcasting and you reach episode number seven, that is a good sign for your future. So Jeff and I have a lot of great content that we are excited to share with you in the upcoming weeks and upcoming months. One of the changes that is happening with the podcast is that we are going to be bringing you an interview uh, one week, and then the following week, we are going to reflect on that interview. What are the things that really stood out to us? What are the things that, that we learned from that interview that touched us, that inspired us to be um, better pastors or better Christians, better disciples of Jesus? So we hope to continue to help you connect your faith with your life, and there are many things that we are learning from these fabulous people that we have been interviewing. So we also want to hear back from you. What are the things that really inspired you, that touched you? What are the things that you have learned from these interviews? So at the bottom of uh, the post on our website and also on our Facebook page, we invite you for voicemail feedback. So what you can do is go to uh, the bottom of the post on our website where this interview is posted or to our Facebook page and there is a button that you can hit that says voicemail feedback. You hit that button and you can record um, a 90 second message to Jeff and I on that uh, site. So please give us your feedback. Uh, If there's stories that you want to share, if there's something that you learned from an interview or just want to tell us how uh, amazing we are, you know, we invite you to do that and we hope to bring you another episode next week where we will reflect on the conversation that we've had with Pastor Keith Anderson. Thank you. Hope to hear from you. Take care. Be blessed. They might not have hair, but they